0: to another episode of Johanna's Art Beat. I'm your host, Johanna Grissing. I've been gone for a minute, life got a little hectic. Thank you so much for coming back and tuning in again. really means a lot. I hope you all are staying safe, got your vaccines, and even maybe your booster, if you're able to at this point. Most recently, I spoke with guest Michael Ryder, who they are actually hard at work in the studio on a new album. Check out their Instagram. Um, Eugenie Bondurant, who was my second-time guest, about her film The Conjuring with first-time guest Paul Wilson. They're both doing amazing. Eugenie actually has been jet-setting off to Paris because she's also a supermodel and has been doing fashion for Valencia. I also spoke with This American Wife director Rory Pelsu. So today I'm back with a very special and exciting guest, Tina Satter, who is the director and conceiver of the Broadway play, Is This a Room?, now playing at the Lyceum Theater through November the 27th at 2 p.m., so you don't have too much more time to see it. Tina took time out of her busy schedule to speak with me about this amazing, powerful play. I will be talking, have my conversation with her very shortly, but first I'm going to tell you a bit about Tina, and then I'm going to give you my little review of the play. Thank you so much for tuning in. about the show but at first wasn't quite sure what it was about other than that it was suspenseful and different and i love theater that pushes boundaries and is truly unique the show is about reality winner who i admit i had never heard of my first thought was could this be about a reality star but i quickly and gladly found out that it was not is this the room is this a room is a live staging of the full transcripts with the FBI when they interrogated former Air Force intelligence specialist, Reality Winner, in June of 2017 in Augusta, Georgia. In fact, the full transcript is available to read on the play's website. Reality was just 25 at the time. So just to warn you, as the information is out there, Still some of this review will contain spoilers if you don't if you decide not to read before you see it. Her crime was suspected leaking of proof of the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election which we all know now of course happened. Going into the play I didn't read too much and there is something to doing that after the show as it adds to the suspense. But of course the information is still out there and I think It would be thrilling either way. We start with a voiceover telling us that this is word for word what happened on the day reality was interrogated. The set is sparse, which I personally prefer. If the acting and the dialogue are strong, unless it's a period piece, rarely is detailed staging needed. And it helps for those like me who are in the very back of the theater. So I was still able to enjoy the show other than I'll admit not seeing the actor's expressions very well, sadly. So I will note it would be worth it to pay for closer seats if you're able. Also, I will also note that the balcony seats are very steep. So if you have a fear of heights or get dizzy again, you might want to go a bit closer if you can afford it. Back to the show itself, Emily Davis plays reality and just embodies her. After the show, In viewing the program, because my parents were visiting and took me to see it, my father made the observation that Emily even stood like reality. She has a bit of a hunch and is bent over a bit during. And there is a photo of reality in the program that shows her doing just that. So that really shows the attention to detail that Emily Davis put in, in playing this role. The action starts right away with FBI agents arriving to the stage in full gear. Even from the balcony, they looked intimidating. Reality is dressed casually, and you feel for her immediately. One woman, this one young woman, standing with three men with weapons, and Emily plays her as so relatable. She's asked at one point what weapons she has, and she says she has guns, including an AR-15. I'm not a gun person but it's a testament to Emily's acting that I was still rooting for reality. Reading about the play online, someone mentioned it was almost choreography how the actors moved. I couldn't agree more. The whole play takes place on a black stage with steps, and the actors' movements and lighting are vital in setting the tone and the fear that reality herself must have felt. The agents are played by Pete Simpson, Will Cobbs, and Becca Blackwell. Pete plays Agent Garrick, Will Cobbs plays Agent Taylor, and Becca Blackwell plays unknown male. These are actual people as listed in the transcripts. When I attended, Joe Lanza was spilling in for Becca as the unknown male. They are as mentioned intimidating, and really, even from the back, I could see their body language showing the same. The show starts with a warrant execution, and the agents getting reality's pets out of the home. At one point, Emily timidly asked to get her cat out, and even from the back of the theater, I could feel her fear. This also adds to some levity in the play, as a puppet is used for the dog. Amanda Villalobos did the puppet design. As I didn't know the complete story, I kept thinking they must have been mistaken, as reality says. She can't recall what she's accused of, and she's believable. Also, her crime seems so ridiculous to someone like me who knows nothing of the military. How could this woman removing an email be a crime? At least one that deserves arrest, as that seems to be what they're accusing her of. The agents really act like they care about her, too. with a tactic, you can see, asking if she needs anything several times and trying to relate to her. And it works. What's infuriating, I think, to the viewer, to the audience, is that reality never asked for a lawyer. But at the same time, at 25, would one be scared to do so? Can you blame her? They're taking ter- they took terrible advantage, in my opinion, of her, and this shows it so well. The use of blackouts in the play to show when the transcripts were redacted near the end of the play is extremely effective. Lighting design is by Thomas Dunn. It jolts the audience and basically counts down reality's fate. The play is only a bit over an hour and there's no intermission. I think for a play this length, that was very appropriate and left you wanting more. I was Googling the real reality the moment I left the theater. The show, Is This a Room? was conceived and directed by Tina Satter, as I mentioned. It originally had its debut at The Kitchen And then it had its off-Broadway debut at the Vineyard Theater here in New York. It stars Emily Davis, Becca Blackwell, Will Cobbs, and Pete Simpson. Many of the cast, including Emily and Tina, are part of Half Straddle. The understudies, including Joe Lanza, who filled in for unknown male when I saw the show, are Joe and, of course, Dwayne Cooper and Catherine Romans are the other two understudies. There are quite a few people involved in the production, like any play, whether it's Broadway or off, there's always quite a huge team, more than the people you see on stage. So I'm going to try to mention some of those names, but if I miss any or mispronounce, I sincerely apologize. Please go to isthisaroombroadway.com. That's all one word, isthisaroombroadway.com for more information on everyone involved, because everyone deserves credit for this show who is involved. It's a fantastic show. Scenic Design by Parker Loops. Costume design, and he also did costumes for the show before it went to Broadway. Enver, Shakartash, lighting design, as I mentioned, Thomas Dunn, co-sound design, Lee Kinney, and original music and co-sound design, Sine Yamada. Broadway casting, and she also did slave play, Taylor Williams. As I mentioned, puppet design, Amanda Villalobos, and associate director, Randy Rivera. Press is Matt Ross Public Relations. Production stage manager Lisa Ayacuchi, company manager Jason Haft, production management Aurora Productions, and general management 321 Theatrical Management. And we also have associate produ- producers, excuse me, including Ayanna Prescott, Miranda Goh, and it's been produced by Vineyard Theater, Dory Bernstein, Sally Horcho, and Matt Ross. And it's a Schubert Organization production. Vineyard Theater helped put it on, and as I mentioned, it's playing at the Lyceum Theater, the Schubert Organization Theater through the 27th. And like I said, I'm sure I've left out a couple people. There are quite a lot. So to find out about everybody, just please go to isthisaroombroadway.com. That's isthisaroombroadway.com. And congratulations to everyone involved. Before I get to my conversation with Tina Satter, I wanted to tell you a little bit about her. She's a playwright, director, filmmaker, and artistic director of the theatrical company Half Straddle. Recent honors include a Guggenheim Fellowship, Foundation for the Contemporary Arts Award, and Doris Duke Impact Artist Award. She received a 2020 Special Citation OB her conceiving and directing Is This a Room?, which had its off-Broadway premiere at the Vineyard Theatre in the fall of 2019, and now, of course, it's on Broadway, through November the 27th. She's been a teacher and visiting artist at a range of institutions, and she attended the playwriting program at Brooklyn College and got her MA from Reed College. You can learn more at halfstraddle.com and at halfstraddle on Instagram and Twitter. So without further ado, my interview with Tina Satter. Enjoy. Hey, Tina, welcome to Johanna's Artbeat.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really
0: happy to be talking with you. Yeah, me too. I'm totally excited. Um, I usually start with How We Connected, and here it was via social media. After I saw your amazing play, Is This a Room on Broadway? So thank you again for making the time for me. I really appreciate it um Let's start with a little bit of background. You're from New Hampshire, correct? Were you involved in the arts there? And is anyone else in your family artistically inclined?
1: Um, yes, I'm from New Hampshire. I wasn't super involved in this. I did do this crazy, weird theater thing when I was literally like between ages seven and twelve. I'm from a super small town, but literally our babysitters—like, like, it, like it's such a small town at that point—it was like 1,500 people. Our babysitters ran this little theater group. It was then also kind of quite serious. So I did that as like um, a young person and we made original plays actually and then tore, and did them at the community center for public audiences and then sometimes toured around to elderly care facilities. But oh, cool. once I got to hi- high school, it was so that sort of idiom of like, it had, you were a musical theater person and I am a terrible singer. And I did, I was more into sports by then anyway. So I had oh, a okay. little lip of theater, but I really, I, it, I kind of moved away from it high school and college um but well, my sister is a visual artist oh okay. and she was really influential and she was sort of had moved towards that even before i moved towards theater and then we have an amazing aunt my aunt diane and she's an artist she had come and gone to pratt in the 1970s oh cool and i always think that she was sort of you know an influence on my sister and i indirectly because like our parents took us to a lot of stuff oh cool we weren't inherently like an artistic family and that
0: Okay, yeah, but it sounds like you have some people who are into it as well in your family. That's cool. Um, And you have an MFA from Brooklyn College in playwriting, so I'm just curious how important you think an MFA is to a playwright, and can you tell me a little bit about that experience?
1: So i got to clarify that. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. I actually, I do have a Master of Arts in Liberal Studies from Reed College. Oh, okay. But I... And I did attend Brooklyn College, and I did all of the central coursework in the MFA in Play Ready. Gotcha. But I never completed the full program. I don't technically have my MFA from there, um, just for the record. Yeah, sure, sure. By the, I already had an MA when I got there, so I knew I could teach and stuff. And cool. I was working full-time. I had office jobs, 9-5 oh, sure. office jobs So that full-time. I was out Brooklyn college and then started making work. So oh, nice! I never finished it, um, but but I, I did the core thing. I did the central, like the tutorials and the central um workshop with Mac. It was run by MacWam at the time, and it was you know the most seminal thing in my artistic. Oh, life. nice. I okay. Mean, so to answer your question, I just think it depends. The huge, huge pros for me, I had not had conservatory training. I I did not come from any artistic right. background or artistic sure cohort. sure. And that is what it offered me, and most of the people, and some of them became my closest friends and closest collaborators oh, nice. that I met in grad school of They had come from like NYU, uh, okay, and other and other conservators. so I really got to like glean a lot from not even just the grad school, but by making friends and collaborators who had all this other training. I mean, I got really lucky, so I think. To boil that down, I, I think grad school, for that community, it, it can be super, super valuable. Sure. And then, of course, there's pedagogy, and like, you know, Matt Wellman was an incredible teacher. We had other amazing guest artists. We, Aaron Courtney is an amazing playwright who nice. was one of the teachers at the time I was there. But, you know, I, I don't, I feel loath to prescribe that that's the course right. for everybody. I think you can make it's harder a little bit, but make yeah. ways to write rigorously. You can do that sure. with groups of friends. You can um, make community by seeing a lot of stuff. You sure. know, there are ways to do it without having to go to the academy necessarily, but it is, and Purple Squad is a special one. Almost everyone else was also working full time. You know, it's a huge oh, okay. school. It's sure, like, sure. you know, design to not cost a bajillion dollars. Exactly. And take into account that you might be still working in yeah. school, et cetera. So those are I could talk about details for a while, but that's my
0: quick thoughts on like yeah. the God School thing or, or an MSA in that. that makes sense. No, that's really cool. Um, and let's talk about uh, half straddle, which is an actor myself. I'd love to hear more about. Um, yeah, yeah I'll admit I didn't know about you guys until recently seeing the play, but you created it in two thousand eight. What led you to create this this ensemble, and what was that process like? And I will oh, apologize. Really- I do have a cat and sometimes he is loud. I apologize hey, for his noise. Um, it, you know,
1: that really started because on the first day of grad school, I met someone named Jess Barbagallo and he's an incredible, and he lives in New York City still and he's an amazing playwright. You know, we were in the playwright program together. He's also like amazing arts writer and director and he's an incredible, incredible actor. You know, he's been everything, in everything downtown and he's been on Broadway. But we met that first day. And I quite quickly started making this project for Jess as an actor that I was writing, and um, you know this again is a long question but yeah, yeah, Jess sure. really is a is a very seminal human to me and a really seminal art partner because through Jess I would you know met. Chris Armo, who's someone who became the house style composer nice. and performer and, you know, major art person. And that would be, he's now on Broadway in um, <laughs> uh, the American Utopia. The oh, wow. Okay. But, so this, you know, so I started making this very scrappy work with Jess and with Chris and then um, two actors that are wonderful actors working in the city. And Eliza Bennett, who also now lives in Chicago some of the time, Eliza Bennett, and Julius Turner press we became we made this first show together and we didn't really have a name and then we had jokingly we came up I won't go into the long dumb story of how <laughs> we came to half straddle but um, I really liked making stuff with other people around me I'd always played team sports and this felt very okay. good in my early forays into theater making you know I knew I wanted to write direct and direct the work I was making and it felt really good to do it with this group of people that I was clicking with and so. Uh, like after that first piece, which we made in 2008 called The Knockout Blow, oh. I then wanted to apply for other things and it just became really. I was like, oh, if I can just say that I'm this theater company. So I called it album <laughs> Straddle. Like, not, you know, just as we were nothing was official. I hadn't set sure. up to start a company, but we got the opportunity to make another show as half straddle that was called family in 2009 and then that brought in that's the first time i worked with emily davis oh nice yeah um who's yeah plays reality winner now anyways at, you know by like 2009 it's like oh my gosh there's a theater company called Half straddle that i'm sort of running that's awesome <laughs> and it became you know and, it, and it, yeah it, it's gone on there and that yeah whole much to say about that um you can read more about us on halfstraddle.com but it Became, you know, sort of off the same actors or being in and out of the shows at periods of time, the same sorts of designers. Um, yeah, yeah. Working on stuff. And often in those shows, I was making parts for some of those actors or they would want to play specific things. So, yeah, we were very much in the downtown model. Like, the, you know, I, of course, there was the Worcester Group, and then at that time there was Young Lee's oh, right. Theatre Company, and there's Richard Knoxville, New York City Players, and like Elevator Repair Service. So we were oh, sort yeah, sure. Of in a model of those at that time you know or or, you know we're still sort of loosely going that that was the moment we started
0: that's awesome and what is it like like being an ensemble like this is everybody coordinating choosing pieces it must be really awesome to have that community and how do you do you take on new members you just keep the same core people like how does that part of it work you know, I mean, all of these questions are, are things we, you know, you and I could probably have an amazing conversation with each one for an hour. about. I'm this. sorry. No, no, no,
1: they're such good questions. I could like now so happily talk about because I have so many thoughts and experiences in but like, you know, I, so it, having a theater company like that and it is like having an incredible like, act, like a dysfunctional family sort of, full of mostly so much love but then a lot of, you know things you have to navigate and move through together, right? And it, and it was incredible and is incredible and is very special and really bonds us. I mean, all of us were there on our Broadway opening night. And that oh was nice, just, yeah. Even only at that point, Emily and Becca were like the core House people on, you know, in the show. But it felt like we were all had made it there together that night, and was really special. And everyone in House Straddle is usually up to making their own work too oh, like cool. as a director or an actor or both. So it was always a company that was super dynamic in that way that like I would, you know, I would always write and direct the shows um, and those actors often, you know, knew they were being them or asked to be in them or you know, like, and then we'd make, make it work for them to be in, or at a certain point, we sometimes had to make shows literally often for financial reasons that were smaller. Right, so sure. Just tough calls and when you can't have all six people in a show or something. Right. But again, so many of them were often, often wanting to do their own amazing work. Sure. You know, again, write and direct their own plays, separate from House Straddle. So it, it's just a very dynamic ecosystem. And I mean, it's like the most special thing. Fact, it is like this gift of having a family. But again, it's hard, you know. In art making, I'm sure you know this, there's ego and vulnerability sure, sure. and a lot of navigating and a lot of mistakes I made in leaving it, but also just always trying to listen to people and then be really candid and transparent and, you know, and, and move through it. So it, it's its own sort of very special thing that does not come with a sort of its own challenges of like sure. just communication and growth.
0: Awesome. No, I that sounds that sounds great. And I want to make sure we have time to talk about, is this a room? So it's on Broadway now, but it premiered at The Kitchen and went on to a successful run at the Vineyard Theatre. Um, What gave you the idea to tell the story of Reality Winner?
1: It was really stumbling upon that transcript, mm. that document, just that document and that content. Almost immediately when I laid my eyes on it, having just read about Reality Winner, it mm-hmm. felt like this incredibly rich score to make a play from. Right, like, yeah. I just. Something activated in me that this is a thriller. This young woman is really fascinating, and getting to watch this real-time moment in her life just feels like an incredible challenge and really exciting if we can pull it off. And I had at that point, you know, worked with Emily Davis uh, for almost, I guess, ten years, and knew like she looked like reality enough. Oh yeah, definitely. Know, and then she has this, she's an incredible actor with a you know her specific skill set. I already had a sense of how to. To do this you would need what emily could do sure and so that was She's great a really big factor. like okay we and i have emily and i have this email we found it when we learned we're going to broadway from 2017 when i wrote her and said have you heard of this girl <laughs> read this this could be a play you could play her so we you know we that was like really one of the early things of it
0: so you would just like run across because i hadn't even heard her of her until this play you just I ran across it on the line
1: yeah no i haven't i haven't experienced i think like 90 percent of people that i talked to had you know that the day we show on stage is june 3rd 2017 that's when reality winner comes out of nowhere into the news but really barely into the news yeah like Snowden or something. and so most people because she has that crazy name
0: yeah you know,
1: yeah name they're not crazy but it's very unique different yeah <laughs> yeah she had floated through my brain i think i could seen a blonde you know, her mugshot or whatever, float by in the news. But if someone had said to me, what did this person do? I couldn't have told you. Yeah, exactly. then six months later in December 2017, just totally killing time reading online. I was reading New York Magazine and came to this article about her. Mm. And I had pictures of her and I was like, wait a second. Who is this person? And, yeah. you could eat. and then all the details of her life. And then in that same half hour, read the transcript and was just like, Wait, so I really, truly stumbled back into someone that had been like a blip in the news um, when I came upon the article and then the, uh, the transcript.
0: So the transcripts, because I know they're all, for anyone listening, they're all on the website for the, for the show, but were they available to the public? They were out there already even before this.
1: Yeah, because it literally was somehow like there was a hyperlink in New York Magazine that oh, okay. got me to the transcript wow. in like three clicks. It was it was literally the scanned PDF was living on Politico. That's wild. At that point. <laughs> and you know, I actually still don't know after all these years of being deeply working on it, if that was like leaked to them or a journalist had done like a Freedom of Information Act, right? And that content had come to live on. Politico's website so at that point it was um it was
0: public domain that's that's wild I just figured I was like oh how did they get this I just didn't know it was just yeah, out no, there <laughs> it
1: was out in the world that just not many people were paying yeah. Attention to
0: it. yeah that's that's wild um and since this is about a real living person of course what was the process did you I think part of when you were doing this maybe she was incarcerated during part of it or on house arrest how was that like talking to her and like figuring out did she speak with you throughout the process or how was it with a living person who's her, her own story, rather.
1: Yeah, she, I mean, she was in prison. I mean, she was in federal custody since the mm-hmm. day we show on stage. Like, what we show on stage, she is never, she's still not totally free. Like, she mm. leaves that night with the FBI and then is, then was in prison. So she, we, that was June 2017. We started working mm-hmm. on this in winter 2018. Right. She was in prison until this past June.
0: It's crazy. So
1: we were in touch with her family. Emily shared a little bit of like, email and letter correspondence with her mm-hmm. in prison but that's actually was really challenging she was moving through several facilities and sure each facility had a different and sometimes they wouldn't give her the letters if they were oh mail letters, wow but we've now been much more in touch with her that's good june 2021 she got out she still is on house arrest mm-hmm. now has an ankle monitor but oh. it meant she could zoom we've texted with her we've had phone calls so um you know we were we were not really in touch with her through the process of making it mm-hmm. It almost feels like a new phase of this to be in touch with reality and you know she actually you know there's stuff she's actually added to the show now and we're able to like just have these conversations with her so well that's really um, it's yeah. very incredible to be in touch with her
0: it, i'm sure it is i also i mean i think we all kind of take the interference of russia in our election is as, as like kind of fact now was she like, do you know was she the main catalyst for us knowing this? Because that's kind of the impression I sort of got from the transcripts in the play:
1: You know, someone more totally journalist political <laughs> could super speak to me, but what she showed is proof was
0: super seminal at the time oh yeah it seems like and, it and like this that is just a fact like mm-hmm, it, absolutely it was like no, no longer being debated mm-hmm. and
1: there was a lot of people who were like right right i knew that but i wasn't gonna say it first you know what i mean mm, she gotcha. was showing this very specific thing that had happened in florida and so literally you know then all all these state governments were like when that when what she leaked came out all these state governments were like whoa wait a second they were then reaching out to the federal government mm. like you didn't tell us this happened. How can we take precautions? So I don't know how to quantify it. Like no, it's okay. First or most, but it was it truly. It's hard proof at that moment. Right. A big deal to the concerned parties.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> say that. Yeah. yeah, it's um, and uh, since I know you, you talk with her more now, what were her thoughts on the play? Was she satisfied with it or? I am say I assume she was happy with it I would hope
1: well, I, she's let us keep doing it you know her family always was very very into it once they saw it so, awesome you know, yeah it like they're like you know they they've been really incredible and they were really moved by it and by Emily's portrayal yeah and the attention to detail and how we treated all of it um I you know I it's hard to actually answer that question sure because sure I think I've always assumed, and I, I still think this from even talking around. I think in a certain way, this is almost pretty abstract to reality. Like sure. I think, as one could assume, there's like a lot bigger things kind of going on than the play about. Sure, her. sure. But, but that was happening, and she did. when We did it at the vineyard her mother told us she got a letter from like a 10 year old boy who saw it at the vineyard oh wow And he said like you're a hero to me and, Aww. I, and it was really moving I i immediately mean, told her mom okay this, i'm seeing that the play is out there and doing something so I think yeah i and now that she's out and that there's just the thing it being on broadway like is sort of like this elevated thought that absolutely can, you know anyone can get your brain around and you're like i don't know what it must be like to be like there's a play about me yeah it must be wild person on broadway She's very, she's always like, let me know what you need. You know, she, she always gives like, but she's a very, it's not just to say, she doesn't like, gosh, she's just not this, it's not her personality, like, as much as I've gotten to know it. Like, oh my God, you made this play about me. She's, she's kind of mysterious and reserved, okay. super that smart, super funny. I mean, cool. really, if you've seen the play, oh, know, yeah. how she sort of comes off in that, Emily and a stuff. she's really... Being now in touch and seeing her again just on Zoom, she really – what we felt we saw on the transcript and that Emily makes really is who she kind of is. And, and she's a bit enigmatic, but um also very warm and funny.
0: So. Yeah, I, I found her really likable, and I think probably most of the audience really just wanted her to be safe throughout, the, even though you know that she can't be, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and did you have to uh, deal with the FBI at all to ask a silly question? Did they – but did they come ask you anything about this play, or did you have to communicate with them before, like putting it on, since it's their transcripts or whatever? I don't know how that works.
1: Um, no, because the transcript was public oh, domain, which was vetted every, you know, every time we've done it publicly. Oh, gotcha. They want to triple check that. The lawyers gotcha. at every institution that we've done it and just triple check that. Basically. Of course. Um, so we didn't have to go to them for permission. Oh, because good. It was public domain, and no, we've never. I mean,
0: <laughs> they didn't give you like, any you trouble, heard I hope.
1: Of, <laughs> heard a piece from them openly, like I don't. It's a whole, it's like it's sort of like a hilarious or strange or surreal thing to
0: think about. Like, is it, obviously it must be on the radar. Yeah, I mean, probably I would think from the transcript
1: of the two real people. Yeah, exactly. So like whether it's a blip to them and they don't take it seriously mm. or they've sort of paid attention but we don't know about yeah it. that's possible it's just something because if we don't know that we just don't know if it registers for them at all or they're tracking it or wish it wasn't happening but they've done nothing they've said nothing you know either way about it we don't who knows maybe some of them have seen it <laughs> who knows that's that's very and, true yeah who or knows they're just like whatever because, yeah, who again, knows? That's the least of our concerns also. But yeah, it's an interesting question. Maybe someday we'll know more.
0: Yeah. Well, at least they haven't bothered you. So that, that's good. Yes. <laughs> so. um, I really liked also how you blocked the actors in this. It was someone on Twitter mentioned it was almost like a dance, the way it's choreographed. Was this stage the same off Broadway, or did you change it when you brought it on Broadway? It's
1: pretty much the exact same gotcha. movement score. I mean, this the chairs that are upstage of the platform mm-hmm. on stage. In every other venue, there was actually audience there. Oh, okay. So Interesting. the one kind of, the the biggest change is that there was certain, and it's just pretty easy to do, there was more times that the actors would, in that exact same pattern we do currently, would hold up stage longer. There was mm. more ways they might have played to make sure that audience upstage got a little more in on the action mm-hmm. but those seats at every other venue those on stage side was really close mm-hmm. to this really close at the vineyard and at the kitchen so we didn't have to play to them as much because if you were sitting there you were really close to the actors and it was a very quite exciting scene. oh yeah I was sure so yeah that's really the only you know technical change is gotcha. that um, and if you watched, if you were to watch again, you could see we're like, oh, that's probably a place where Emily stayed looking upstage. Uh, oh, yeah. So that that audience saw her face. But those are the main switches. is just keeping it playing to the, the front house. Gotcha. And did more, you? But it doesn't change the actual movement.
0: That's good. Did you, did you have did you, did you get a chance to like rehearse on the Broadway stage? Because I've never done a Broadway show. So I don't know if they give you a lot of time uh, to do that or you not really. Do
1: in tech, like, okay, gotcha. So Sort of typical tech time, it, very 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 fast. I, I would assume. Meaningfully got to first there. Like, gotcha. Maybe, you tech, <laughs> and then I don't even know. Maybe I, I'd have to remember now or something. Ryan, who did even did a run before dress. It was it was like how most theater I think making feels. You know, at that point it feels very down and dirty. I mean, or it didn't. It wasn't like luxurious. Like we'll get sure of tomorrow. course. It was working super fast, and I think in part because we were sharing that. Um, time in age right of course but
0: yeah that's that's really good and uh i know originally the play was going to be ending sooner it was it originally had been planned i think to go through january got cut short and now it's got two more weeks um yes. and i guess that was because more audience were seeing it do you think it might get more time back and if not what's planned for the play after it's run i have no idea that's okay like <laughs> we are on a ride
1: that like I, I just honestly don't know yeah I mean, i'm I think everyone's really happy that we got this. Oh, back. absolutely. Had an amazing audience and the actors were really excited to do it, keep doing it more. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, there's very much hope and likely that there'd be some life of this play. Yeah, absolutely. Afterwards. Um, I think half straddle actually, if we hadn't gone to Broadway, half straddle would tour it. Like we usually tour it oh, okay. to Europe, Japan, nice. certain places. Wow. In the US. I think there would, we would um, leave the option out at, have straddled to tour it to non-English speaking oh, audiences so I cool. think there's a likelihood we take the show to some of these European venues but we'll, you know we have to see there's interest and we just have to get it sorted and then you know I think um often with a Broadway play they do it potentially and this is totally up in the air and I know not sure, sure, now but there would be a hope that they would move a version of it through the U.S. you know yeah absolutely touring to bigger cities so um but not known that's still an unknown thing. So of course. We'll see, but I think there's a chance there's some life event post- Yeah, I think,
0: post- I think definitely more people need to see it. I mean, I, that would be, I think, really ideal. Um, and I guess that probably answers my question. The next thing for Astraddle is hopefully to figure out, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, what, yeah,
1: that is. How struggle, like we're, we most immediately are like looking to sort of sort out this possibility. Gotcha. Of doing it um, in these European venues that are interested,
0: so see. And I assume the same actors would travel along too, or how would that? It would just actually, depend.
1: You know that it, it depends. You know we we were set to tour in a bunch in pandemic before we knew it was Europe, and oh, actually yeah. Emily Davis was not going to tour. it. Because oh, okay. She had another big play in sure um in the United States that was not a house show play, but was a really exciting opportunity, and so sure. actually it's, it's not. She's incredible. We have an awesome understudy for her, though. So, it, yeah, you—if that's the thing of touring, you do sometimes have to um, replace people. Sure. So just being open to that possibility all around, but so it might be some of the same, and it and it might not be. But now we have actually a really good crew of this. I mean, even at the vineyard, another amazing actor went in for Agent Garrick, and so yeah, we have we have some other good casts, I think so. If, that's also a very TBD. If we, yeah, do of course. Do it, of course, we don't. totally
0: totally not with the That's the But that's it's still exciting possibilities. Yes, um, totally. Yeah, and I also ask, uh, before we finish up, I always ask my guests if there was a moment they thought about giving up in the arts and what <laughs> kept them – I know it's an intense question. I just find it's inspiring for artists like me who are like, oh, it's never going to happen. No one's ever going to notice me. So I'm just curious if you had any words of wisdom or even just for playwrights or artists in general you wanted to share.
1: Um, I have a lot of those stories, but the one I will tell you is mm-hmm. directly related to this play. Okay. In 2018, I was at a complete crisis point where I read this article about Reality Winner was at the front desk of a law firm where I was the tip. Was the oh, reception. I've worked at law firms yeah. too. That's so funny. So, um, <laughs> you know, again, another thing I could take a long time to say, but I had I had, um, worked in office jobs, but I had started have sure. a lot of success with half straddle, and by like 2014, was teaching or touring or had commissions and you know had won some really nice grants and awards yeah. and then art world is hard and then and yeah being a downtown artist and then sort of was at a moment in 2018 where I was like oh my god I have to go make some real money again yeah. I was like crying every day Aww. <laughs> and was at that lock I'm thinking what else can I do and I was like oh my god I can't really return my office jobs are. I'd be like a copywriter or something sure at that point though I had this five-year gap in my norm core resume Mm -hmm. so I'm like oh my god I have to make another show like the way I will survive is I will continue to be like sort of a working artist I have a kind of name in the contemporary theater world I have to make a show so I can get teaching and maybe get win some awards like literally that was like my game plan I'm like I missed the moment to return to even normal life and was set to do a different show in the kitchen as this attempt to like keep myself grounded as an artist so i could then make the sure. teacher and win an award and stumbled upon this content and switched i was going to do a different show for the kitchen switch to this commission so i was anyone around me at that point knows and i was just like i'm gonna we need to raise all our money ourselves oh wow first, first show so this was a real Crisis point for me. Mm. I mean, you know, not in the in the scale of life. Like, I wasn't gonna be homeless and I wasn't gonna die. But like, I was like, oh no, my art career is at a really weird point. I might yeah. not be able to keep doing this. And put my head down, made a show that was four people committed to raising the money ourselves, which was really hard. Oh yeah, and, I'm know, sure. Kind of embarrassing and terrible, but like we did it, and we came out the other side with this show that has had this incredible life since. So, you know, it's. A, it's luck, in it's a moment, and it was also like, really hard work for me and Emily and all of us at that time to get this show out there originally.
0: Well, that's quite a story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, that's, I'm glad that you, it worked out and everything. So <laughs>
1: yeah, That's what I said opening night from probably Play, that off stage, though. It's stage show, but I'm like, I was like, we raised the money for the first version of this play wow. ourselves, so wow. <laughs> everyone needs to remember that.
0: Yeah, well, it can be done then, so that's very expi- yes. inspiring to anyone yes. listening. Inspiring to me, so thank you. Yes. Um, and before I let you go, I just want to mention, um, is this a room the final dates? It goes through November 27th and plays at the Lyceum on Broadway. Um, if you want to just tell me how listeners can keep apprised of your and Half Straddle's work, like on social media, etc. cetera.
1: Yeah, so, so Half Straddle's two words, mm-hmm. H-A-L-L-L-S-T-R-A-B-L-E, and you can find this on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, or less of being on Facebook and our website. But yeah, I think Instagram and Twitter is having our the most, um, action for us right now and like what's going on with things like that. So follow us there.
0: Perfect. And I believe Lyceum, you can go to lyceumplays.com for the tickets or I think they're on today ticks and different apps like that as well. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much, Tina, for, for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, Guys, if you haven't yet, go see Tina Sater, Satter's uh, Is This a Room, and it's it's fantastic. Just don't miss it.
1: <laughs> Thanks so much.
0: It's very fun to talk to Thank you, you. too. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode of Johanna's RV. Thank you so much for listening. A huge thank you to Tina Satter, her whole company, Half Straddle, and everyone with Is This a Room? Broadway on Broadway which runs again through November 27th here in New York City. Hopefully, after talking to Tina, the play will have a future outside of Broadway, because I really do think that people around the nation need to see it, and possibly even abroad, because it's a really important story. And I think it would be really beneficial for other people to see it. So, fingers crossed. Thank you again to her. And as you know, I dedicate each episode to somebody. This week, it's going to be Disney Sebastian. Who is a very dear friend, one of the most, one of the sweetest and most talented people I know. She's also an actor, a host, and she's just a phenomenal human. You can find her on social media. And her birthday is this weekend. So happy birthday, girl. Love you lots. And I am Johanna Grisset, your host. You can find me on social media on Instagram, Johanna Grisset. And of course, the show is Johanna's Artbeat. My website is johannagrisset.com, which I need to update. But uh, yeah. So I'm all over there. And you can, I hope you'll tune in next week when my next guest will be the amazing Chester Gregory. I'm talking to him about his career as a recording artist and his theater career. It's a great episode. So I hope you'll tune in for that. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Take care.